I'm very excited about this link that you sent me. Yes. So for listeners who don't know, Kat and I are childhood fans of the Digimon series. Yes, the cartoon. Um, It's not the same as Pokemon. And the link I sent her was this thing about the original Digimon adventure series being rebooted, which is the one that we're the most attached to and the one that we watched. Yes. So we watched seasons one and two as kids. And don't let Alex's use of the word childhood mislead you. We have definitely watched several new Digimon installments of these characters in the last five years. That's true. And in that, it talks about the last movie that they did, but we haven't seen it yet. I didn't even realize it was out. I know. I thought it was a while, but then but then one of our friends texted. I was like, is it really out? But we never know where to get these things. I know. I know. I'm going to have to like do some research to try to find it, but we'll see. But anyway, I'm like cautiously excited about this situation, but I just don't really know how I feel. Like, why did they have to reboot the original series? Will they pair people up with the right people this time? Like, you know, these are my big questions. Oh, yes. Everyone inexplicably married not the person you thought they were going to marry. Yeah, it was like the creators had like a sudden stroke of like pettiness and were like, I'm just going to pair them (laughs) off with people who don't make any sense. Just to be clear... When we watched original Digimon, we were about 11, so prime age to be deeply, deeply obsessed with seeing these characters get together. But the ship wars, they were real, my friends. They were real. Anyway, so I guess it's a reboot in the sense that it'll be our same characters, but new storylines? Yeah, I think so. Well, you saw in the trailer that Ty has a phone. Oh, like an updated situation, like a James Bond or Young Wizards thing where they just play it fast and loose with what time period they're living in. Yeah, I guess. I'm not really sure what they're, I mean, obviously, like what they're planning to do. And obviously the trailer just shows Tai and Agumon, so I'm not really, you know, but like his look is pretty much the same. Yes, it does look like, you know, it's 2001 again. I'll keep tabs on it and keep you alert. Okay. I will, at the age of 30, watch this children's cartoon. But in the meantime, uh, shall we talk about Emma? Yeah, so welcome to Romcomathon. My name is Alex. I'm Kat. And this week we are here to discuss Emma, the new adaptation that's just uh, come out in theaters. We went and saw it last night together. Uh, We were with Alex's wife, Alex, and our friend Alexandra, and then we deliberately split into pairs afterwards so that we did not discuss it with each other. Yeah, so this is a fresh hot take. It's what we do for you, podcast listeners. This is the sacrifices we make. Yes, we go to movies and sit in silence, which frankly is difficult for us. It is really difficult, actually. <laughs> so what were your thoughts about Emma? Um, I enjoyed it. I, unlike you, have never read the book or seen any previous adaptation, strangely enough. So my only relationship with it was through Clueless. <laughs> Okay, yeah. And so the entire time we were watching, I was just like, oh, I guess that's so-and-so, I guess that's so-and-so, and I was like, oh, this character doesn't have a clear, clueless analog. But now I'm like, maybe I will read the book. It seems charming. The book is funny, but I so, like like I said, like a couple episodes ago, oh, during the Clueless episode, I so pushed for you to watch the BBC miniseries because it is just the best adaptation of Emma that has ever existed. I feel very Austin deficient sometimes. Like, it's odd that I didn't read it as a child, and then there are so many movies of it that I have not seen. 
Yeah, Emma has a lot of a lot of adaptations. But like when we were driving home, Alexandra was saying like, oh, you know, I wish they had done like an adaptation of Persuasion. And I was like, you know what? Fair enough. Like there are lots of Austin adaptations, like Austin books that could require more adaptations than Emma, who are, you know, it already has quite a few. I think I don't even know what happens in Persuasion. (laughs) I do know like kind of the rough outline of what happens in Persuasion, like what goes on with them. And it's very appealing, actually. Really? Um, But yeah, Emma's like super, super fun to read. It's a delight. I did enjoy the film last night, but there were quite a few differences between that and the way I generally think about Emma. So there's certainly characterizations that I was like, oh, I guess this isn't really the path I would have taken, like, you know, in terms of this character or like, you know, things like that. Um, But I really like ultimately was like, yeah, I enjoyed myself. Like it wasn't the 2005 Pride and Prejudice situation, but- It took over your life and continues to linger yeah like it's my favorite film it's it's great i was thinking of that last night as we watched when i was there were a couple of moments where i was struck by how feelingsy it was in this like weird very chaste moment and it reminded me of that movie yeah i think this emma was like slightly more irreverent and like a bit if wes anderson did jane austen so I think I found it a little difficult to take seriously at moments, like when they were having like, like a lot of feelingsy stuff, you know, like, whereas I don't know, like the the 2005 Pride and Prejudice is so much more cinematic, I guess, and real for me in terms of how it played out. I don't remember the 2005 Pride and Prejudice as well as obviously you. I remember it frame by frame. So yes, But I do remember it being very romantic. And this, I think as a romantic comedy, like I wasn't that moved. But there were moments when I was moved. And also the countryside remained very beautiful. So I don't know that I would say it was not cinematic. I think that's interesting because for me, like when I watched the BBC Emma, when I've like, I haven't like, I think I read like an adaptive version of the book or whatever, or like a, like an abridged version. And I think I feel like a lot of feelings about Emma Knightley. And so I think that's interesting that you were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I feel like more about this than I do with Pride and Prejudice, where I'm like, I might actually feel more about Emma than I do about Darcy and Lizzie. Um, Oh, I just meant the movies. I don't know that I have enough perspective. I certainly know that story so much better because there's been so many more adaptations of it that I've actually seen. When we talked about this, I was like, Emma does seem tailor-made for us because we're always about people who have been friends for a long time. I kind of wanted a little more backstory, which you might be able to provide because I now understand a little bit the clueless thing because they literally had a moment where she was like, we are not so much brother and sister. And I was like, what's the deal? Is Knightley like an orphan? No. So should I summarize? Please. So Emma is a young woman of 21 who grows up rich, super rich in this version, like insanely rich, um, with her widowed father and who's a hypochondriac and quite elderly. And she is clever, but a bit silly. So Emma's governess, Miss Taylor, is getting married at the beginning of the film. And Emma's father is bemoaning this fact. And Emma's like, no, don't worry, I'm never going to get married. But she is very smug because she's like, I was the one who matched them in the first place. And 
Emma's and her father's dear friend and neighbor, Mr. Knightley, is like just saying that these two people should be together intermittently for four years. I mean, I guess I'm paraphrasing from the book is not the same as actually matching people up, but also like maybe don't play matchmaker. Like this isn't really a thing you should be doing, Emma. Does Emma heed this warning? Emma does not. After the wedding, Emma makes the acquaintance of a Miss Harriet Smith, who is a student at a uh, local like girls school in the village. And Harriet is quite young, 17, but she has like a mysterious parentage, like someone has been paying for her to board at the school for years. And it's like enough money that she has like her own room, her own comforts and things like that. But they don't know who. Emma is like immediately like it must be a gentleman she must have like a gentle breeding or whatever and is like she needs to make a match of like an appropriate caliber my new dear friend wait in this situation is Harriet's mother poor no they just don't know who her parents are oh she's just an orphan who somehow wound up at the school She's just, she's been sent there and then someone's been paying for her upkeep the whole time. I have so many logistical questions, but continue. So whereas Harriet is like, I have been spending time with my friends, uh, the Martins, who have a farm in the village and like the head of the household is a Mr. Robert Martin, who's like this young man uh, who's a gentleman farmer. When Emma hears about this, Emma is like, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot marry Mr. Robert Martin. A farmer is so beneath you in the book and in the other mini she actually says, I could never visit a Mrs. Robert Martin on Abbey Mill Farm. That's a bit rude. <laughs> yes, she's quite snobby. And she's basically like, no, 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 you have to set your sets higher. And she decides that she's going to pair Harriet up with Mr. Elton, the local vicar, who is like young and handsome and has like, you know, some land and he's very charming. So she's like kind of talking Harriet into this. Robert Martin actually does propose to Harriet. And Harriet is like, oh my God, what do I do? And Emma's like, obviously you must refuse him, but I will not tell you to do this. You must use your own words. And Harriet is like, must I refuse him? And Emma's like, oh my God, yes, Harriet. I would have never thought of that. Um, so she says no to Robin Martin and pursues Mr. Elton, who is a bit silly, frankly. I did not know until halfway through this movie, by the way, that he was the curate. <laughs> Mr. Knightley, when he gets wind of this, is basically like, Emma, um, I don't think you should pair them up. Like, Mr. Elton is, like, not really a great guy. And Emma's like, I don't know, fuck you, Knightley. Like, I'm, I'll, I do what I want. However, this plan goes awry when... Elton like suddenly confronts her and is like, you know, Miss Woodhouse, I love you. And Emma's like, oh no, I did not see this coming. Even though Elton has been like paying her lots of attention, rushed off to London to frame a portrait she painted of Harriet, like just like, you know, wooing her in all, all the ways, but Emma was like totally blinded to this. To be fair, the portrait thing, a bit confusing. Yes. Yeah, so she is like, okay, but I, I'm not going to marry you. Like, no, thanks. Mr. Elton in this movie like full on yells to stop the carriage and like gets out and basically like walks rather than be continue to be in the carriage with Emma, which like fair enough, but I mean, he sort of proposed. It's reasonably mortifying. Yeah, it is pretty mortifying, especially when she's like, no, I would never marry you. Pshaw. After that, Emma's like, I may have made an error. However, a distraction soon comes to town. So in this town, there are two other young people of Emma's age who kind of like left mysteriously and like came back. So one is Jane Fairfax, who is the niece of a Miss Bates. 
in town and Miss Bates, played by Miranda Hart in this version, is this spinster older woman who lives with her aging mother on like a very small income and, and loves to chat. Loves to talk. And chat, especially chat, chat. especially loves to talk about her niece's Jane's many accomplishments. Jane has been living with a family um, and is now like finally coming back. She's quite accomplished. Dower? And a bit dour, yes. Um, neither thing Emma really likes. Uh, there's also Frank Churchill. Frank Churchill is the son of Mr. Weston, who marries her governess at the beginning of the film. Um, and Mr. Weston was in a lot of debt when Frank was born, so he was basically adopted by his um, maternal uncle and his wife, and was raised there. Was actually like you know took on their last name because he's going to inherit, but they're not dead yet. And so he's constantly at his like his sick aunts like beck and call um and so has been promising to visit for many years and like keeps like like not showing up essentially but both jane and frank come to town and frank is like a handsome bachelor um carefree and he seems to like emma a lot and emma is really charmed by him and jane is just like her enemy (laughs) for no reason really so Jane has, um, after the Elton and Harriet situation, been like, I'm going to sort of like hold off on like matchmaking like a little more um, because she's like so distracted also by this like Jane and Frank situation. Uh, and there's like a ball and things like that. But then basically towards more towards like the end of the film, Frank has been a bad influence on her. They go on a field trip uh, with like various friends from town, um, including the new Mrs. Elton, who Mr. Elton is married after like a scant six weeks. And she's terrible. And Emma insults Miss Bates to her face and uh, basically says like she says so many dull things and makes like this field trip very awkward. Knightley is like very upset with her. He yells at her. And this is after he's like previously like said nice things to her finally, like complimenting her and being like, you know, you've actually been a really good influence on Harriet. And I think you've grown a lot. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And because this is after they go to the dance, right? Yeah, this is after the dance. Um, So, you know, there's like a vibe. Yeah, there's like shenanigans in between, but like not very important. And then this is when like Knightley like basically goes off on her and is like, you're unfeeling and and you're like, you've been unkind and you just think for yourself. And like, this is this is in the the famous line is like badly done, Emma, badly done. And Emma like is really upset by this and is like, oh, no, like, was I unfeeling? Like, did I do poorly? Yes, you did. And so finds that she has to go on like an apology tour, essentially. Yes. Well, also, he's like one of the few people whose opinion she seems to genuinely care about. Yes. At least based on this film. Yeah. Around like a little previous to this, basically, Harriet had had a run in with in this movie gypsies i really wish they had actually changed this i was gonna say yeah clearly they remained faithful to the original which they probably shouldn't have they could have just said like ruffians but i don't know brigands yeah exactly so she essentially like twists her ankle frank churchill comes across her and like carries her to emma's house and after this like harriet is like oh my god like i'm in love again and emma thinks like okay, yeah, like, Frank Churchill, sure, like, worse things have happened, like, he is, he might be very rich soon, like, you know, but, you know, like, weirder things have happened, so she's like, I'm on board this matchmaking train again, but... After this field trip, this big thing happens where she finds out that Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill had actually been secretly engaged this whole time because they met before the events of the movie happened. And they uh, they were just keeping it a secret until Frank could like inherit his money, essentially, so he wouldn't be disowned for marrying someone poor. At this, uh, Emma is quite shocked 
and her governess is like, are you okay? We really worried for you because we thought he was leading you on. Like, it was really unfair of him. And Emma's like, no, no, because she obviously has thought this whole time that Harriet has had like a big old crush on Frank. So she rushes to Harriet and is like, I'm so sorry to tell you this. And Harriet's like, what? Frank Churchill? No, he's not the one I was into. It was Mr. Knightley. He danced with me at the ball when no one else would. He is my hero. And at this point, Emma has like an epiphany and is like, my Mr. Knightley? Like, how <laughs> dare you? And, um, and realizes that she is in love with Knightley. But she also says to Harriet, like, look, you're my friend. And Mr. Knightley is the last man who would ever show a woman favor if he didn't mean it. So, okay, he's... Who's to say? Right? Like, he might be in love with you. I Okay. So she leaves very upset. But then Knightley, like, finds her and is like, Emma, actually, I love you. And in this movie... It was quite humorous, um, as this was not the end of it. I was, I was like a little bit thrown because in the miniseries and stuff, like this is like when they get together essentially. But in this one, it was clearly not. Is does the book just end with them getting together? I actually don't remember. It feels like all that other stuff probably happens. Yeah, no, it 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 does because she has a concern about basically she has a concern about whether or not she can actually be with him because of her father, um, who will never leave his house. And so the big romantic gesture actually is that Knightley says that he will move into their home for as long as her father is alive and give up his um his independence kind of i mean he still owns i was gonna say he still owns a huge amount of property based on this movie (laughs) and then also harriet is gets another proposal of marriage from mr robert martin and she does accept and emma truly finds in and this was nice in this version that she could be friends with someone who is not her equal in class yeah, because the big gesture is like Harriet discovers that her father is a tradesman. Yes. And Emma is like, bring him to visit. And you're like, oh. Yeah. And so that's quite sweet. And then in the end, Emma realizes that, you know, maybe matchmaking isn't her thing and marries Knightley. Yes. And perhaps wealth and consequence aren't everything. So the thing I didn't understand, you basically said that Emma has the revelation that she loves Knightley in the Harriet conversation. In the movie, it felt, at least to me, a first-time viewer, that it kind of came to a head at the dance, but they just like weren't saying it. Yeah, I think in this one, it kind of gives you more of a hint of maybe some of Emma's feelings towards him then. But I would say, like, usually... Or at least, I mean, I don't know. I base like all my thoughts off the miniseries, but in the miniseries, it's <laughs> Knightley who realizes that he has feelings for her at the dance, and Emma who realizes after Harriet tells her because Emma says like, "My Knightley, like Knightley, like." But if he should be in love with anyone, it should be me. Like you know, like it's <laughs> that that sounds like her. Yeah. Also, in this movie, there was some interesting characterization of Emma. I, you know, for me, like the Romola Garai version of Emma is so. Um, is so true in terms of like she is sheltered and she is naive but she's not bitchy like in the miniseries I I truly like you can see her being so kind and it really showcases like how loving and compassionate she is even though she is also gossipy and um, sometimes can be a bit mean about Miss Bates but you can see why Knightley is so fond of her. Whereas in this one, I was like, oh, she's like full on mean. Like, she's just a mean girl. Like, this is like, and everyone in this movie was like, oh, but you know, Miss Woodhouse, you're so kind. And I was like, is she? Like, I just don't see that until she like brings the basket of food to Miss Bates when she's apologizing. 
I didn't find her to be that terrible until that picnic where you were like, oh no, it's awkward. Yeah. She wasn't that bad. I feel like there were moments where she was a bit... She's very snide. Yeah, I mean, I guess what you're describing about the miniseries, which I haven't seen, does sound more like Cher, my only familiarity with <laughs> with Emma. Right, because the whole thing is that she's very she's very sheltered because she's, like, never left home, essentially. And she's, like, you know, obviously naive, which plays into the matchmaking thing, but she's not mean. mean. And in this one, she is a little bit mean. Like, she's, you know, I don't think it helped that the actress's face was a bit shrewd oh but so many criticisms of people's faces alex could like not get past her face situation like she saw it in the trailer and was like i don't like i don't buy into this and then like really yeah Yeah. Um, i think she's beautiful we were oh really i actually don't particularly enjoy the situation but you know she's not like unattractive I was like, I don't know that it's for me, but I think that she was, because generally with these adaptations, like the lead tends to be the one that is more like modern day beautiful. Yeah, I just found her face like a little too pointed, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I mind that the way you do in general. Mm. But Knightley, who I wasn't sure I was going to like because I saw him in the trailer and I was like, oh, I don't know about this look because Knightley is like 16 years older than her. Um, He's played by Johnny Lee Miller in the miniseries and it's like great. Oh, yes. I remember now that obviously that's the case because it's Austin. But like in watching this movie with these, you know, young people, I was like, where are his parents? Are they dead? (laughs) Yeah, it's like Riverdale, Emma. Because I was thinking of Paul Rudd. Yeah, he's like 37 or 38 in the book. And he's actually the elder brother. Like his, so I don't think the movie made this clear, but first of all, they're neighbors, essentially. His house, like, is close, is, like, a mile away from hers. Um, neighbors. They're estates. Yes, you know, no, they were neighbors. That was clear. Yeah, and then his younger brother, John, is married to her older sister, Isabella. Oh, I did yes. not Yes, I don't think they made that quite clear enough. It um, seems like Isabella and John live somewhere far away. They live it in does London. not seem, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was like, why don't they live at Dunwell if that's the case? Well, because John's the younger brother. I guess. Okay. Yeah. So Knightley runs Dunwell Abbey, but his brother lives in London with his wife and they're like, ha- like, you know, their army of children. Oh, it's Dunwell Abbey. This whole movie, I was like, is it called Dunwell? Is it called the Abbey? What's it called? Yeah, it's Dunwell Abbey. And Knightley has been a bachelor forever. And that's how they know each other, aside from the fact that they're neighbors. But they're, like, supposed to be very good friends. Um, And I don't know if that came across either. Yes, that comes across. It really does read, to me, like the, like a friendlier version of the Paul Rudd-Alicia relationship, where they just, like, have known each other a long time as children because they don't appear that far apart in age in this movie. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, that's something I was like... like I was like, I guess Bill Nye's just adopted handsome Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I quite liked this nightly, actually. I was not going in expecting to like him. Of course, I was a little annoyed that they were both blonde, but... He, he's kind of gingery. Yeah, he's right? a little gingery. Like, uh, yeah, you could also be like, sometimes he like had his hair was a little brownish in certain light. Um, but he, I thought, really conveyed a lot of like Knightley's warmth, and I quite like that. I think you know, I think this movie could have really obviously benefited from like the amount of time that the miniseries had, um, to really like 
sell you build that relationship yeah and really sell you on like Knightley's fondness for emma and like their fondness for each other because there's so many nice moments in this um in the miniseries where you're like oh i can see that they're friends you know and in this one you have some moments like i'm thinking about the moment where they're sitting on the couch and isabella and like her father just like whisked off the baby because they're like (laughs) paranoid that she's suddenly like dying and they like both laugh so you know that's that's nice yeah, no, I found him overall very appealing. I liked their dynamic. Yeah. I had an issue with how rich they were in this film. Oh, are they not supposed to be this rich? I'm learning so much. No, the book doesn't really specify. Like, they are, it basically talks about um, their rich, their wealth in relation to Mr. Weston. Um, and they talk about how, like, Mr. Weston, after being impoverished, like, earned some money and then was able to buy, like, a small estate for himself, Randall's. But that Hartfield is three times the size of Randall's. So Hartfield is, like, a great deal bigger, but this was, like, Marie Antoinette, like, levels of rich. My sense was that Emma was the richest person around for miles. Emma is quite wealthy, but Knightley is wealthier. I w- I'm incorrect. Knightley and Emma collectively are the richest people around for miles. And then it seemed like everyone else was poorer. Like the Westons were doing fine, but they were not wealthy. And then, God forbid, we look at a farmer. And <laughs> then I learned from the embarrassing of Miss Bates that she had, I guess, fallen from her station in life, that they had been noble but had no money um well the thing with miss bates is actually that her mother was a vicar's wife and then the vicar died and so they're left on like a small income and because miss bates had never married like you know they're trying to stretch that income okay but i was just interested i was intrigued by the fact that like mr elton seemed to be kind of on the same station as them even though he's like a man of the cloth and i found it odd i guess I guess it was unclear, like, how rich everyone was supposed to be. Well, I guess because the book is, like, a little vague on the matter, like, you don't really... They've chosen. Yeah, you're, like, I'm, like, not totally sure, like, how wealthy they're supposed to be. But I was, like, very taken aback because... I was just, like, do super rich people go on to be vicars? It's usually, like, second sons or something because it's basically like a position they can take so they can get paid for the rest of their lives so they can kind of like twiddle their thumbs and do their own thing oh so maybe mr elton isn't the i mean in the book it says like he basically has like a little house and he has like you know he has like income like he's comfortable he's totally comfortable is that that much better than marrying a farmer i don't i mean a farmer has to actually work so who knows all right go on Yeah, so I was actually quite surprised by how wealthy it was. And it was obviously like a very deliberate choice because, um, you know, the the size of her house, like the amount of servants in every scene, um, things like that. I got the feeling from like the book that she's not that levels of wealthy because they like she and her father have a conversation about like one of their servants by name. And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like if she had like, like a gaggle of servants, like she wouldn't know. Like the Emma in this version like, kind of seems like she doesn't care or know about the servants. Oh, interesting. So I was just, like, I was intrigued by the directorial choice to kind of go in that direction and make it so ostentatious. Like, it's just not the case in the miniseries. And for me personally, I guess, like, not really the case in the book. Yeah. It did give you, like, there was a lot of class stuff. I mean, yeah, class stuff features very heavily in, in the story. But I was like, oh... Oh my, like, it's it's still pretty clear in, like, the other iterations that Emma 
is, you know, like her family is like the upper echelon of this village. Sure, sure. Oh, I see. I see your point. Yeah. But not necessarily hobnobbing with the queen, which is what that house made it look like. Yes. I was like, oh my God, these cakes. Like, so are, are they poorer than like Mr. Darcy? I mean, in this one, it sure doesn't look like it. Like, I, you know, but I have no idea, actually. I'm not an Austin expert. Interesting. All right. Perhaps what I will do is I'll read all the books and then I'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah, that sounds It's going to take a while. Yeah, I was going to say. It'll, it'll be a bit. Yeah. That was actually what, like, really threw me is that I was like, oh, this is, like, very Cher, you know, like, just living in that enormous house, like, kind of, like, that kind of thing, which is, like, again, like, not the impression I get from other you know, Emma sources, like, I I guess I think of Emma as, like, a little more down to earth in terms of, like, tied to the town and things like that, but very much, like, kind of- You think she's, like, upper middle class? No, I think she's rich, but she's very involved in, like, the goings on of the town. Like, you know, just she goes to Miss Bates's house, like, often um, to listen to her read letters from Jane Fairfax. Ah, in the book, is she equally annoyed by the letters from Jane Fairfax? She is pretty annoyed by Jane. What? Because, okay, can I just say, I feel like just based on this movie, I was like, justice for Jane Fairfax. She doesn't seem fun, but like, what's wrong with her? Yeah, I also feel like that. Like, Jane is, um, the thing with Jane is that, like, she's perfectly fine. Actually, Frank Churchill is always the dick. And at the end, every time I'm like, why does, like, ugh, like, Jane marries him? Like, ugh. In this movie, even he didn't seem that bad. I was a little bit like, now you're both being obnoxious. But, like, up until that point, he seemed kind of okay, except for... Knightley's disdain for him going to London to get a haircut. Yes, such a fop. Really enjoyed that. (laughs) Um, The whole thing with, like, Frank is that he does Emma wrong because he's, like, obviously flirting with her in front of Jane. And also in the miniseries, he does a lot, he pays a lot of attention to Emma in front of Jane's face. And in the miniseries, there's even more, like, they make fun of Jane together. Like, they're like, what is she wearing? Like, in this one, too, like, they're like, what did she, you know, did she do her own hair? And Oh, right. Yes. Yes, I totally forgot about that. Uh, like, is this, like, an elab- part of his elaborate ruse yes. to hide? Yes, it's part of his elaborate ruse, so, like, no one will know that he's, like, fond of Jane because and he's he sent so- her a pianoforte. Yes, he's so terrified that his aunt is going to cut him off. Oh. So, um, when they're at Donwell Abbey and Jane's there and then she says to Emma, um, will you please tell everyone I'm, like, not feeling well, like, I'm gonna go. There's, like, this whole long thing in the miniseries where Emma basically kind of almost has, like, a heart-to-heart with Jane and, like, walks out with her. And Jane is like, look, my spirit is just, like, I can't take this anymore. And we find out later, of course, that it's because Jane, like, basically can't deal with this, like, secret engagement any longer. Like, she's like, I'm, like, losing it. And she runs off. And then when Frank shows up at the Abbey, like, afterwards, like, he's had a fight with Jane. Like, he ran into her walking away and they had a fight about it. And then he shows up and he's, like, really cross. Oh. But we don't find that all out until, like, after the reveal, of course, but... Yeah. I mean, from a modern financial perspective, you're like, yeah, no, totally, keep the engagement secret, wait for them to die. But given, like, the station of women at the time... Yes, and also he's flirting with Emma in front of her, like, he's insulting her, like, with Emma, he's like... It's unnecessary. Yeah, he's paying a lot of attention to this other woman, and that's why, like, you know, the Westons are so concerned about Emma afterwards, because they're like are you okay? Because he was clearly like, you know, flirting with you. He led you to believe that he was fond of you. And Emma was like, Emma's like, well, well, and she's been like anticipating his return for years. Yes. 
So, yeah, so he is a bit of... It's not nice. A dick. Um, and no, Jane never does anything really wrong. Um, Emma's just sour because Jane's such a good pianist. <laughs> I did enjoy that. They were like, she's very accomplished. And Emma was like, ha! Yes, I enjoyed that as well. Um... I have only a few small notes because we were in a theater with actual people, so we couldn't take notes. Um, this isn't really a note, but I was just thinking it's been a while since I watched a, like a new period thing, I think. I think my last strong memories of this are from around the time of Old Pride and Prejudice, but I guess that was the last like new Austin thing that came into our lives, right? I think so. I think they... No, they did like a new Pride Sense and Sensibility miniseries. Yeah, no, not like big like release, I guess. Yeah. Um, And I was like, I feel like I have different perspective now than as a teenager. Like you just take everything for granted as a child. You're like, this seems normal. And I enjoyed watching like the dancing and such. I was like, how period is this dancing? Is this how they danced at the time? They're usually pretty period. I also read an interview with the star, like the actress who played Emma last night. And she talks about how they were very adherent two period stuff like she was in a corset um, yeah you know whatever i was like their curls are extremely curly oh my god i hate that look i hate that look it's also a look so it's a look that they don't give to emma in the bbc miniseries which like helps soften her i think um but they do give it to harriet smith and they also do it in gentleman jack um the hbo miniseries the lesbian hbo miniseries that we watched um last year and I truly hate the curls. It turns any attractive woman into, I don't know, like a pillow. I did find overall that I, like, I think the reason it caught my eye so much was because of some of the appearance stuff that you've said so far that I was like, oh, they really went very period with the look and very modern with the, I guess, attitude. Yeah, but some of the colors were very bright and I wasn't sure if that was period or not, actually. Like, some of the outfits they chose were, like, you know, just color palette-wise, like, so bright. Um, speaking of bright colors, uh, the School of Borders, every time they walked by in the, like, many, many red cloaks. I was like, Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's oh my god. Tale. So, <laughs> Handmaid's Tale has really ruined um, rows of ladies in uh, red cloaks for me, it would seem. Apparently. That did not occur to me until just now. Oh, what an interesting game they were playing with, like, that cornstarch, maybe? And, like, the coin? I think it was... I was like, was it sugar? Was it flour? Yeah, it was, like, something, like, like of that variety. I was like, cornstarch, flour? I'm not really sure. It wasn't sugar. It gave sugar. me shades of uh, Little House on the Prairie stuff. I had, like, never seen anything like it, and I was like, what an interesting game, but how humorous the result. I totally meant to Google it, and now I've forgotten. It's, like, basically, like, they put some kind of powder, flowery type thing in, like, a cake sort of looking mold. Yeah. And then balance a penny, and then they play, like, Django with it, basically. Yes. Like, trying to shave away edges, and then they smash the winner's face. Yes. But yeah, if any listeners know what that game is called, do let us know. There were a couple of moments that I liked. I guess we could do best and worst? Yeah, let's do best and worst. Um, there were a couple of moments that I enjoyed, though I didn't write down that much stuff. Overall, I deeply enjoyed Miss Bates, who I described in my notes as the chatty neighbor. Yes. She's she was very funny. so funny. Yes. Every time she appeared on screen. I enjoyed when Handsome Ed Sheeran successfully declared his love for Emma 
in the like yard and she was like no no no. I think this was when she was like no no no. I'm gonna go off and fix the mess that I've made with the farmer because he offers to go do it to like clear up the Harriet situation right yes and then after she leaves he does like kind of like a little old-timey fist pump I guess of excitement and that was charming to me I think my favorite scene was possibly the one where Mr. Elton comes back from London with the portrait framed and he has found like the most ostentatious frame possible, which is like a frame with like a little set of doors. And when you open the doors, music plays. (laughs) That was very humorous to me. Yes, he was overall a truly ridiculous figure, even more so than Elton and Clueless. Yes, I found everyone's face in this movie to be hilarious for some reason, and I was surprised that I was kind of touched when Harriet and the farmer were reunited at the end. It was sweet. I always find it rather sweet, because poor Robert Martin, he so thought he was going to get yes to his proposal, and then he's like, no. Yes, like, he so was like, I like her, she likes me, what's the problem? The problem is Emma, it's not your fault, dude. This isn't a best, but I'd, I'd just like to mention that we start the movie by seeing Knightley naked. Oh, yeah, that was so weird. And I, I was like, kind of forgotten. This was, I, I, I guess I don't mind necessarily, but this was so unexpected and uncalled for. I know. You know, Alex said the same thing. She was like, I don't mind. Like, but <laughs> <laughs> like, it wasn't a sexy moment. Like, he was just, it's literally like the first time we see him, right? He's... We're in Emma's house, and then we switch to his house, and he's, like, getting dressed, and we just see him naked. We see his ass, and then the rest of the movie, we never see his ass again, so it's not even like it was a theme. (laughs) You know what? There were some choices in this film that I was, like, I don't know what's going on. The beginning, when the movie opened, I was, like, is this some sort of gothic procession? Like, Emma's wearing what looks like to be, like, a nightgown, even though it's not a nightgown, and, like, is, like, walking out in, like, the early misty dawn with, like, one of her servants carrying, like, a lander for her as she like chooses flowers to clip oh yes and she's like not that one and you're like oh lady of the house okay yes which really does set the tone for her in this film but anyway speaking of brief moments of non-dignity in Knightley's house I did enjoy very much when he comes home and maybe he's like sad because Emma's been like Mr. Churchill stay so he thinks that she likes Frank, maybe? I can't remember exactly when this happens, but he comes Oh, this his- is after this is after Harriet like sprains her ankle and they're both there because it, it's implied in the movie that right after the dance, Knightley rushes off to tell Emma how he feels, but then they're interrupted by Frank bringing Harriet in and then after the vicious gypsy attack. Yeah, I hated that. And then they're they're both going to like rush off to go get the doctor, but Emma, thinking she's being helpful, asks Frank to stay because she's like, ooh, Harriet has a crush on Frank. And then, of course, by doing this, Knightley thinks that it's Emma's attachment to Frank. That and he's like, no, we'll both go. Yeah. And you're like, okay. You're like, oh, Knightley. I enjoyed that, actually. I love him. Anyway, so he's really bummed and he comes home to his Versailles-like home and, like, lies down on the fancy carpet. And then in the background, you see this, like, servant come in. He's like, you know what? I'll go. And then he like closes the door. I'm just going to give him some privacy. (laughs) I really enjoyed... There were honestly... I I didn't have that many romantic feelings. I I had some. But this film was very funny. Yes. It was very, very funny. I really, really liked that touch. There are moments in the BBC miniseries where I also laugh a lot. But it's actually like more just out of like 
it's not the movie doing it, you know, so much. It's not the tone. It's like, it's much more like just comes from the characters being ridiculous. And speaking of which, Alex, I have an important question for you. Yes. Do you feel a draft? (laughs) You know, maybe about my knees, I feel a draft. Please, bring the screen. Bring the screen. (laughs) Not that screen. The other screen. Um, Bill Nye, the only recognizable actor to me in this movie, was so funny as Emma's hypochondriacal father. It's very cute. He was constantly there reading and sleeping and feeling a draft. Yes. And it's really sweet how sweet Knightley is with him. That's the big thing. Emma really loves her dad, even though he's crazy. And (laughs) that's the nice thing about Knightley saying, like, I'm going to move in here with you, like, you know, because he genuinely cares about her father. Yes. And even when they're just like sitting around the sitting room or whatever, the drawing room, and Knightley's being like, oh, maybe, maybe I do feel a draft. I love when they're like at the breakfast table or whatever, and dad goes, Miss Taylor would have felt the draft. (laughs) Yes. So sadly, I guess we don't have best or worst. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, wait. Before we get to that, I do have a worst scene. The worst scene is definitely when Elton proposes her to in the carriage and then gets so upset, he screams to be let out of the carriage and then gets out. It was like the sudden show of like male anger that I was like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting this. Like, I think it was supposed to be funny, but it actually like kind of startled me. My main thing was that that storyline is maybe the one that best parallels the Clueless one. Yes. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, he puts up a picture of Ty in his locker. And then I was like, oh, but of course, because it is an old timey time, he cannot kick her out of the car. He must get out of the carriage himself. Yes. I mean, I think it's also her car, so. Oh, really? I thought it was his because I thought she had to get into it because her father and sister went off in her family's one without her. Or actually, because Knightley gives his to her sister, and then her father gets in the second one and leaves her behind. Yeah, I actually don't remember. But in the miniseries, it is like her carriage because it's like Mr. Elton doesn't have one. So they had to pick him up. Oh, maybe. I thought that, I guess because of Clueless, that Elton was equally rich. And thus I was confused to discover mid-movie that he had a job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Okay, so we don't have best and worst lines because we were in the movies. <laughs> yes, I like tried to do the thing that I did when we did Bridget Jones's Baby where I was attempting to memorize lines as they happened, but it just didn't work. Too much was happening. Yeah. Overall, what would you rate Emma? Wait, wait, first let's acknowledge that of course there were no people of color in this movie. Oh, yes. So I complained about this on the way home, which was I felt that the movie was irreverent in tone enough that they really could have cast some actors of color in roles. Like I just, it would have been unnoticeable. And I'm a bit disappointed in this version that they actually didn't. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like they probably could have just been like, we're modern now. Yeah, like I don't know why they couldn't have, like a lot of um, period stuff are are doing it now. Like a lot of like stuff. That yeah, just on being colorblind with it. Because- yeah. You want to be able to continue to tell these classic stories, but not have them be inherently exclusive. Exactly. And so I think that would have been really nice. Like, it's not like beautiful people don't exist in all races. So, like, I just really think they could have gone in that direction. Um, so yes, I am... Emma got a nosebleed in the orchard. So, I mean. Yeah, like, I just think it's disappointing. Unless that's in the book. I don't know if it's in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember. It's like during Knightley's love confession, she suddenly gets a nosebleed. 
Um, uh, for a moment, I was like, is she going to faint? Is this because she's so upset still about Harriet? What's happening? Maybe it was just for comedy. It's a lot for her, to be fair, in that moment. <laughs> I really am going to read this book. I'm going to read this book, reader, listeners. Check back in. In like six months, check back in. How dare you? <laughs> but it's, it's true. I've been book. reading one book for like three months right now. It's really, really bad. Anyway, I would give this film maybe like a seven or an eight. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. Like, it wasn't my Emma, you know, but I thought it was yes. like, a pretty good movie. I would definitely recommend this to anyone, you know, wanting to have, like, a nice light night out at the theater. I felt a lot less critical of it than you because I didn't have an attachment to a previous Emma adaptation, but I think that you are more attached to the story, so it probably balances out. Yeah, I'm very attached to the story, but I am deeply attached to the BBC series. Like, I just I just need you to watch it so you can truly understand how wonderful it is and how great Johnny Lee Miller is as Knightley. I cannot picture who Johnny Lee Miller is, so He's I'm going to have to Google him in, after this. In elementary. Oh. Okay. And he's such a cute Knightley. Okay. Um. Anyway, I would give this movie seven or eight chill drafts. <laughs> I would give this seven or eight screens. <laughs> seven or eight piano fortes. Mm-mm. Seven or eight secret engagements. Seven or eight extremely curly curls. Oh, God. No. <laughs> and with that... Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we will talk to you next time. Please follow us on all our social media, um, and bye! Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.